Hi, everyone, and welcome to Mixed Student Empire podcast episode two. My name is Addison Lee, and I'm the founder of MixLife.net, also known as MixLife Media. We're a platform for multiracial creators and content dedicated to exploring and redefining what it means to be mixed through art, writing, interviews, and so much more. So we have actually produced this series, and for a quick intro with this podcast, each episode is hosted and created with full creative liberties by a mixed student union at a high school or university. These episodes were created during the COVID pandemic, so while audio quality might not be the best at times, we emphasize the amazing and oftentimes surprising experience of creating an audio work about being mixed. Today, we've handed over to Berkeley High's Multicultural Student Association to create an episode about navigating high school as a mixed teen, something that a lot of us can relate to. We hope you enjoy and learn some new mixed perspectives. Belonging. I don't know, just when you feel like you can be your total and complete self and you don't have to worry about putting up a front or changing who you are. Belonging is having people understand where you're coming from. Around Berkeley High, mixed students are everywhere as they represent 12% of our 3,000 plus student campus. This is in contrast to the national stats from the 2010 census, which found that only 3% of the people in the U.S. identify as multiracial. This is episode one on the podcast series Mixed Empire, and we are here with the Multicultural Student Association, an emerging community for the mixed students on the Berkeley High campus, right down the block from UC Berkeley. We will be discussing how being mixed impacts the way we interact with the world, especially in Berkeley, California, a place known for its liberal politics and history of activism, and the first school to implement district-wide busing. Here are some of our stories of navigating a racially and economically diverse that makes a point to be inclusive, but still continues to be socially segregated. Um, hi, my name is Mina. I'm a freshman, so I'm in U9, but I'm going into AHA, and I'm Filipino and white. Hello, my name is Osasena, and I'm in the 11th grade. I am in BIHS, which is Berkeley International High School. Hi, my name is Asia Safiuddin. I'm a 16-year-old at um, Berkeley High. Um, my pronouns are she, her, and my small community, my small learning community there is BIHS. Um, my ethnicity is black, white, and Asian, and I'm a practicing Muslim. My name is Amalia. My small school is AMPS, and I'm a senior. Uh, my mix is black, white, and Latino, specifically Mexican. Hi, I'm Jill. Um, I'm a senior in AC, and I'm half Hakka Taiwanese and half Croatian. Um, hi, my name is Isadora, and I'm in BIHS. I'm a junior in BIHS, and um, my mother is Black and Haitian, and my father is Italian, Hungarian, and Slovak. Hello, um, my name is Gabriella. Um, I'm in BIHS, and I am a junior currently, and my cultural background is my mom is Venezuelan and Spanish, and my dad is a white Ashkenazi Jew. Yeah, I feel like the sense of like belonging, like you get placed like where you like how you look like. So, for example, like if you look more white, then like you'll be like placed, and people will like feel like like, and then you'll start to think like, oh, I belong with like the white kids, right? So, like that's that's like I feel like that's where it comes from, like a sense of belonging and being like placed. I like school, for example. I know that it's sometimes hard where we're trying to create a mixed community and a mixed space on campus, but at the same time, um, due to the nature of being mixed and being of multiple cultures, when you don't have the same mix as somebody else, there's still a lot of things that like you're missing or you don't know about. Um, like I'm not Latina but I am mixed and you are Latina and you are mixed. And so being part of the mixed community, we have something that is not generally in common. So like thinking about how different communities, like you won't always have every single 
part or every single piece that everyone else seems to have in common can sometimes make it feel like you don't belong. Yeah, I mean, like, because the mixed community is so big, it's hard to, like, you, yeah, you can't relate to anyone, which makes it difficult because in a community, you want to be able to relate to other people. And I feel like going off of that and the need, you know, to feel like the mixed community acknowledges, like, um, all the different parts of your identity, even though you're from a different cultural background, I feel like an additional part of finding your community is kind of wanting to feel accepted by specific parts, by specific communities that you're a part of. So for me, that's been like, you know, trying to feel accepted in the Latinx community. Um, And I think trying to push yourself into different, you know, to feel accepted in communities that aren't mixed is definitely like a challenge that people go through. Totally agree. Oh, yeah. Like... I've always struggled with wanting not not feeling black enough because my mom she's mixed and she's half black half white so I'm just a quarter <laughs> I'm just a quarter black but it's still something that is important to me because my mom identifies as black still and it's like I'm I don't want to say I change myself to be more quote unquote black but it's something that I want to embrace because if I don't embrace it and if I don't try to really push myself to act black or look black or dress black, then people won't acknowledge it at all. And it's almost like that's erased from my identity. Unless, you know, you think about it really hard because I still have features. But it's like I really have to try. A lot of cultural things that like, oh, all black people know this. And I didn't know that because that's just not how I was raised and where I was raised. And even my mom who grew up in St. Louis and it feels like she had a more black experience than I did. And it's been very difficult to kind of realize that there is no black experience for one. Um, A lot of it is like, having to argue with people, which is so annoying because it doesn't feel like something you should have to argue about your own identity, but explaining to people when they say you're not black enough and being like, Oh, are you the authority on blackness? Like you don't. Yeah. And so kind of at some point you do just say like, this is, this is who I am. And no one really gets to tell me that I am otherwise, but that doesn't necessarily make it easier. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, because, I don't know, people are always making assumptions about you. And it's really tiring to try to, like, debunk all of their assumptions. And sometimes you let it slide, which isn't helpful to you. But it's like, you really don't want to put in the effort sometimes. That um, I've had to deal with kind of being, not shunned, but having to work really hard to fit into the communities, especially at school. Um being like I look Latina but I don't speak Spanish so that's already a boundary that I have to go through like being if I I, for like a year or two let me just say I switched around groups a lot because I was trying to figure out who I was and like I was with this group of like Latina kids and they would be speaking Spanish I'd just be sitting there like okay (laughs) um and it's just things like that where it can just feel like you're just never quite right for the people you're with and it can be frustrating yeah and like also I feel like that stems from like the idea that all like mixed kids are like exactly like fit like are are an exact combination of everything they are so it's like for example people like look at you and then they'll be like oh you're Latina and you'll um wait if I recall correctly Latina black and white right like, they'll think, like, you should be a perfect blend of all of those things, right? And that, like, you should just look that way. But then, like, they don't accept the fact that people come in different, like, looks and shapes and sizes. So it's, like, they can't accept it. So they'll just put, like, a label, be like, okay, since you don't look this way, then you haven't been this way. Okay, let's move on to mixed kids in white spaces. So I'm a mixed person, or more specifically, Hapa. 
I grew up in Taiwan with my Taiwanese family, so I've always identified with my Asian heritage more. So there wasn't really a need for me to think about the other part of me that's white until my family immigrated to the U.S. Like, yes, I got comments on the way I looked, but I was rarely ever treated as if I was less Asian than my peers in Taiwan. Here, however, I like found myself in a school so rich with um, like cultural diversity. While that is a good thing, I was also exposed to something entirely new. Like now I had to categorize myself into different boxes for some reason or do different things to prove I'm a particular race, especially in white spaces. Like why do I even have to prove I'm just as white at or Asian as kids who aren't mixed? And then especially to hear that come from white kids who are like my friends. And it's just, it's like not a good feeling. And why do they feel like they can do that? And I'm sure that most mixed kids think this way. Um, but I also wanted to talk about my whiteness. Like moving here also made me realize that being both half white and white passing is an enormous privilege, especially in a country like this. I get to feel safer in white spaces than other mixed kids or kids of color. I get to feel more secure. However, other mixed people like me or and I have this responsibility. And we have the responsibility to start meaningful conversations, especially when white people talk shit or do things that aren't okay in white spaces, or even worse, when they do it in front of you thinking it's fine because you're only fragments or like fragments of different cultures or races. Like, although we are white passing, it doesn't mean we get to take that and just call it a day as a way to blend in or follow the mob or whatever, because we have the privilege to do. Yeah, I totally agree with everything you said. And I also think if you're mixed and looking looking to find your community of like Latinx people and like strengthen that part of your identity, you're showing a certain part of like your mixed identity and you're surrounded by white people, you aren't necessarily like given the opportunity to do that. And I think that's been a big part of my experience is just like the segregation is like preventing me from understanding what it means to be a Latina. Um, and also just, you know, kind of having the learning experience of interacting with a wide range of people and having that, you know, um, contribute to your identity formation and um, your ability to interact with a wide variety of people. Berkeley is a lot wider than I think it is expressing. I don't know if that makes sense, but I think that we assume when we think Berkeley, we think a diverse, like, super liberal place, but it's surprisingly majority white. And I think that has to do with you know, gentrification, whatever, but it's just very, it's overstated. And I think we almost forget, but like, cause then you're in class and you're like, huh, I'm in Berkeley, which should be diverse. And I'll look around. I'm like, I am the only Brown person in this room. And that happens a lot more than I think people realize. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely I relate to that. Um, for me, I am not white passing. So I think, but I did grow up in some white spaces. I would go to Massachusetts for every summer because that's where my grandparents lived. Um, and because I'd been going there my entire life, I knew the community and it didn't become apparent how differently I was treated how differently like my dad was treated, who was not someone who went there. So my mom went there her entire life. My dad did not. He was this big Mexican dude that had tattoos. He had his long hair, like, and I can't even imagine how hard that was for him being judged by all of these like old white people and how like isolating that was. Um, but I didn't quite notice how it affected me until I was a teenager and I started seeing how different people would look at me. It just became aware. And at first, I think I was trying to fit into the whiteness. I was trying to act more white, do things that were considered like white active. I don't know what that means, but I just would hang out with this group of white kids and I would do everything they did. I didn't mention anything about how I felt. I didn't play my music. I played their music. It was just a way for me to feel like I belonged. And then after a certain point, it was almost like a switch in my head. And I started running from every bit of whiteness that I had. Like, 
I didn't want any part of the whiteness because it scared the hell out of me. And I think that was probably around the time when I was just especially aware of police shootings, of just the crazy amount of racism that goes on. And it scared me so bad that I was like, if, uh, if they're, they're not going to think I'm white, no matter how much I try, they're not going to think I'm white. So I started running from it and hiding almost and in a way that was harmful because I am still white and I still do white things, I guess. I don't know what that means because <laughs> like my grandpa's white and we would go fishing and like, I don't know, paint boats and stuff. And I don't know if that means that I was any more white. It was just all very confusing. So I think right now I'm in a place where I can accept that I am white but I I am also black and I am also Latino and I don't have to run or grab for anything so but it's a very complicated path yeah definitely it wasn't this year until I really took the Latinx literature class that I really um, got to see the contrast in between level of privilege that the white Jewish community has and the Latinx community and how there really isn't the same level of education in terms of resources that um, Latinx people have access to. Um, and as a result, there isn't the same kind of economic stability for the most part. Um, and this is, of course, the generalization. But in general, it is true for many people um, that there are systemic differences and the um, lives that Jewish, the white Jewish community has in comparison to communities of color and specifically the Latinx community. The Latinx literature class really gave me that contrast of being able to see broadly and individually, you know, like, what is the some of the experiences within the Latinx community that I have not experienced because of my whiteness? And I think, you know, just going beyond being ashamed of your whiteness and analyzing, you know, how it impacts your perspective, but also, um, and I think I didn't want to truly tackle that because, It was attached to my feelings of shame and, like, my feelings that, like, because of my whiteness, I didn't have membership in the Latinx community. I didn't have value. I didn't have an asset. I was just, you know, whitewashed. (laughs) Moved here and realized that people saw me as completely white. And I decided that I didn't think that was a bad thing at the beginning. Um... I definitely had a little bit of internalized like racism within me where I kind of had seen all of these stereotypes of black girls being loud and obnoxious and like ghetto, which is a word I hate. And I think all of that kind of got to me because I grew up around these white people who a lot of them were racist and had these stereotypes built into their heads. And that transferred over to me a little bit. Um, and what was I saying? Yeah, and I um, moved here, and I definitely, I was I was a emo goth at the time, so I didn't go in the sun, and I was very pale, and probably at the time I moved here was white passing, um, and it kind of was like a journey of like realizing where I fit in and that the way that I talked, which I thought was just how I was, um, isn't entirely just how I was. And it kind of took for me to be in a community with people of color and like experience that diversity for me to kind of find myself. Um, And honestly, I also have had the recent where Amalia was mentioning feeling like you just need to get rid of all whiteness. Definitely this past year I've felt like an extreme aversion to like a lot of my friends are white. And so I'm used to having white people around, but my friends are very, very conscious and aware. And so I'm used to having that energy around. It was like, my friends are white, but they aren't saying anything backhanded and aren't like giving or saying any micro aggressive things. Um, And I just have, noted recently that that is just not the case with every single white person and I am in IB which is a very white program and I've just had several incidents um where I felt like I wish there was another person of color in the room 
like growing up, I had white people around me all the time, friends. I have a lot of white friends and it's just such a weird feeling to, for me specifically, to be like, wow, there's no brown people in this room and I don't like that. Um, but it really is isolating. And again, being called out by white people for not being black enough is not comfortable. And it, it's just, it feels very um, denigrating, if that's the right word, to be like someone who is not black, to be told that you are not black enough. I like, it's hard to argue with someone who is obviously at this point, no, no one's a hundred percent black, but someone who's more black than me, when they say that I'm not black enough, that's a, that's a different kind of pain. That's like a, wow, that really hurts my being. Like I haven't had experiences that are the quote unquote black black experience, but it, it is a different kind of pain when I hear it from black people, but it is really, really annoying when I hear it from white people because it's almost like they're using it as a way to make themselves more black when they're not black at all, especially in Berkeley. I think it's different in other places, but in Berkeley, it does feel like um, it's almost like making them feel more like cultural because, oh my God, I listen to more rap music than you. Are you even black? I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Um, uh, okay, I was just going to say a little closing. Like, if you are a mixed person in a room of white people, just don't feel like you need to change anything about yourself. And that is very, that's more easily said than done but you don't need to change yourself in any way to make anyone more comfortable because they can live with the discomfort because you've had to live with that discomfort and people of color have to live with that discomfort all the time. They can live with a little bit of discomfort and acknowledging whatever is going on. If that is their white privilege, if that is whatever little internalized thing they have, they can live with that and it's okay to stand up. Because if they are real, if they're your real friends or if they're going to be okay with people of color, then they, they got to deal with the fact that you stand for your beliefs and that you are a person of color and that you are a mixed person. One of the funniest parts about like being mixed and like white passing it's like connect it connects a little bit to like the past topic, but it's like people will deny that you're mixed, but then as soon as there's like white people refer to it as like the perk of like being black is saying the n-word, they'll be like pleading for like an n-word like pass, right? And they'll be like asking like, "Hey, can I say it?" And like they'll be like, "Hey, since you're like this person, since you're like part like black, or since you're part like Asian." can I say this offensive thing, but take it as a joke, which is one of the best things. And like, another thing is like, they'll be like, Hey, since you're like, um, since like you're like, for example, you're like Muslim, they think that being Muslim is a race, which is also really funny. They'll be like, can you like do like henna? But like they want like the spiritual type because they like the design and everything, which is just like one of my favorite like things about like being mixed because it's just so funny to me like it's like a horrible thing and I'm saying it's my favorite thing because it's like out of pure irony but I feel like that's something that like doesn't get talked enough like talked about enough yeah I think it's really important to like understand like I know there's a lot of white people who will sing and like use the n-word while singing they're like oh well it's not offensive it's just a lyric like I'm just singing along and like you really just don't understand the idea that this this word was something that was used when black people were property and had no rights would get whipped if they like breathed the wrong way um and like you can't even imagine how horrific that is but we don't see that right now what we see right now is our current political climate um 
and it feels like like black people are more or less equal which we know is not true and so that makes people feel like oh well the idea of saying this word doesn't seem that bad um but I definitely feel like the guidelines for like who should be able to say it um I don't really feel like anybody should be able to like make that rule um it's honestly I feel like you have to be black but it is at your discretion like if you are if you are one-eighth black and you want to say the n-word you have to think to yourself like the idea of reclaiming this word is that this would have been used against me during a time of extreme oppression and black people are still oppressed today often um often black people are profiled um and you have to think like do I look black? And that seems like a really superficial way to think about it, but it is really important. Like, do I look black? If a cop pulled me over, would I fit into the statistic of being four times more likely than a white person to be arrested for marijuana use? Do I fit into these statistics of being more likely to be shot and killed by a cop for a traffic violation? Um, and again, it's at your discretion. I don't say the N-word, um, not even because I feel like I can't, because I do feel like I look and am Black enough. I just choose not to use it because it's a harmful word, and I just don't feel like I need to say it. But it is important to understand the roots. And instead of it being like, a, oh, it's just a word, you have to understand that it's not just a word and just be really conscious about the use of it, in my opinion. For me, I think it changes for everyone, especially in the mixed community and how you feel about saying the N-word. Because I, feel, I think that if a white person could use it against you, I think that you have the right to say it because I think that is you claiming that word back. And it's so weird because I think for mixed people, especially because I was just talking about how I want to embrace my black side, but I'm not black enough to say the N word in a way. But I don't know if that's so weird because I think for mixed people, especially because I was just talking about how I want to embrace my black side, but I'm not black enough to say the n-word in a way but I don't know if that's really it's a lot of brain fuckery excuse my language it's a lot of brain messiness and for mixed people because then I'll get frustrated when I see people that are quote-unquote mixed well they are mixed but that are like one-eighth black that are white passing if I see them saying the n-word I'll admit I will be offended because I don't think that they have the right to I don't think it's part of how they grew up but then that's just so close-minded and I don't know I think it's really it's up in the end I completely agree with Isadora like I wanted to kind of talk about racial profiling and also cultural appropriation a little later but like racial like you as a mixed person I totally agree that's like such a big question you have to ask yourself like, just because you're mixed and you're part, like, whatever your mix is, that doesn't mean that, like, like, different people are racially profiled according to how they look. Like, maybe you're part whatever race, but that doesn't mean that you're racially profiled the same way. So that would give you, like, different privileges that other people have. So, like, no matter what, you can't, like, you have this privilege. If you are like, I don't know, like white passing, like maybe you are like half, like if you're mixed with black, for example, if someone is racially profiled for being black, you're like, how do I even say this? I didn't write this part down. I wrote down what I wrote earlier. Um, like exactly what you were saying. If you're pulled over and the person the person who might have the same mix as you, but they look differently from you. Like that doesn't mean, does that make sense? Like, even though you could be the same mix, like that doesn't mean that you can identify with their struggles or have the same privilege or they have the same privileges as you. So like, say 
you're half black, but you happen to look more white or, and then the person next to you is also half black, but happen to look more black. They're going to get racially profiled differently from you. And I think that's a big issue in the mixed community. Like, I don't know. It's just kind of weird, especially at Berkeley High, I feel like. And then I wanted to talk about cultural appropriation too. I think, is it part of this segment? Yeah. Okay. So I mean, I see all kinds of people do disrespectful things like wear a chipao, like it's just decorative with like no meaning behind it or an aldai with doing the same thing and wearing it with no pants for some reason when you're supposed to wear pants with it without even making the slightest attempt at understanding the cultural importance of it. And the list is big and fat and long and can go on forever. Like I know it's wrong and it infuriates me, it sucks, and yet... I feel like as a mixed person, I'm always questioning my right to call people out on it. Like, although I believe I'm both of my races and cultures and I am fully both of them, oftentimes I still feel like I don't have the right because I'm not enough. Like, it's kind of like a juggle between the two. In fact, like a lot of times I question my right to wear or do certain cultural things too. Like sometimes when I do decide to call people out, they either tell me I have no right because I'm not completely one thing or proceed to tell me like some bullshit saying that as a minority themselves, sometimes they experience cultural appropriation. Like that's a pass to like contribute to cultural appropriation themselves. Like sometimes you would expect these people to not contribute to it, like understand it even better and not do it themselves. Like, I also see, like, different people wear the kimono in different ways, like, try to, like, do whatever shit to it, even though it has a deep cultural meaning behind it, and you shouldn't do that. And- yeah. Um, me and Jill have actually, like, talked about this a lot, you know, just feeling concerned or questioning, you know, the ability to wear things that are, like, connected to your cultural background, like, broadly or even specifically, just because of you know, people's perception based off of, you know, how you look. Um, And I remember my freshman year when I was really not yet kind of fully exploring what it meant to be Latino and not really having the, I guess, experiences then to understand what that meant. Um, I was wearing this Guatemalan headband thing and I was just really concern and kind of freaking myself out that you know people were just seeing a white girl appropriating something and not really thinking that I had a connection to the thing that I was wearing um and you know I think the interesting part of this is just that you know I make assumptions about other mixed people too based off of how they look and there's definitely a lot of white Latinos that you don't realize are Latino and other mixes too and you definitely make assumptions and as much as you know how much it hurts and how much it's difficult and how much you don't want people to perceive you in that way at the end of the day like everyone kind of has biases and makes assumptions about people um so I think that's like an interesting thing to recognize as a mixed person you never really know just a little, a little thing. Because um, I think a lot of what cultural appropriation and like appropriating and just fitting in almost, it has a lot to do with how you look. And I think that that's the mixed experience it has a lot to do with how you look of kind of the path of life you go down. Um, and it's challenging. And it's honestly, I forget that I, when I look at myself, I see this blob i i always just assume that i look more latina it's a really weird phenomenon because i don't really see anything other than just you know it's my face i've had it my entire life i don't know if that means that it looks more black or it looks more white and i'll notice how people really struggle i think the other people that aren't me struggle with what i am because i think people want to put people in in categories I don't know if this is really about cultural appropriation but what I was gonna say is I was just 
when I dress a certain way, people will, I, I will assume that I am that thing. For me personally, I just am a very mixed looking mixed person. Like if I dress more quote unquote black, then I'll look like a black person. If I dress more quote unquote lesbian, lesbian, Jesus. <laughs> if I dress more Mexican, not lesbian. <laughs> Wait a goddamn minute. Um, that I'll look more Mexican. I can't really look white, even if I try, but it's usually those two things. Um, I just cracked myself up. <laughs> and so I think that has to do, because I will judge people that are mixed. I, won't, I don't want to. It's not something that I think is okay to do. I just end up doing it. Um, if I see someone who's mixed, and I know they're mixed, there are people, a specific person will name them person X. I know a person, person X, they are probably one eighth, one, possibly sixth black. Um, and they are white passing and mostly white passing, but there's still like little aspects of them that looks black and, but mostly white passing. And I know for a fact that they don't say the N word in front of their black friends but they will say the N word in front of their white friends because then it's appropriate. And I'm not going to tell them not to say the N word because they are still black. And again, I am not the black police. I can't tell people that they aren't black, but it's just whenever I see them saying the N word, I'll just be like, it just feels a little funny in my gut. And I don't think that we can control how we feel. Like we can't suddenly become this passive being of a person and not feel things when people do things that are just a little bit too close to being cultural appropriation, but who are we to stop it at this point? That sounds so sad, but it's hard when it comes to mixed people that are quote unquote cultural appropriating hours and hours to talk about all the complexities of every mixed group, because you already, if we look at all the people that have spoke today, you wouldn't even guess what we look like based on all of the mixes that we are. Cause you can't, it's just too many. <laughs> and so trying to navigate that and like, yes, we can all relate on like the very, very basic concept of it's really hard to feel belonging sometimes, which I think almost every mixed person can experience. But I think that it's every mixed person has a different experience. Like, and I think some mixed people, like for me, I have felt jealousy towards other mixed people, which is a weird ass concept, because if we're all the same, like if we're all mixed and we all have the same experience, then why would I be jealous of the person who has the same experience? But obviously, as I've said, people don't. And for me, I was always jealous of A, I was jealous of people in the beginning years of like Barbie and TV, when I actually wanted to be white, um, I was jealous of mixed people that were lighter skinned. Like my mom, she has freckles and she's very, she's not light, but she's pretty light compared to me. And, and uh, then I moved on from that and being like, I wish I had like curly or like kinky hair so that people would acknowledge my blackness. Or I wish that, like that mixed person has a Latina mom instead of a black mom. And now they speak fluent Spanish and I am so jealous. <laughs> um, and it's something that I don't want to experience, but it's just something that happens. And I, maybe it's a fact of like the grass is greener on the other side. I like completely agree with that. Um, I grew up in Taiwan, so, like, nobody looked like me. It was really weird, and it felt really weird going to school. Like, I always wanted my mom's hair. It's super thick and long and black, and it's so fucking pretty. And then, oh, you can see. <laughs> and, oh, my God, when I was little, I watched Avatar all the fucking time. And, like, I would always look at my mom and go, like, why didn't you give me a name like that? Like, I'm actually so mad at you. Why didn't you give me a name like that? Like, where the fuck did Jillian come from? Okay, like, what's the deal with that? Like, I have a Chinese name, but it literally has the weirdest meaning. And people in school would fucking laugh at me. It was so horrible. It means orange forest kid. Yes, orange kid. I was nicknamed orange kid. 
was so bad. It was so bad. Like, I'm sorry. Okay. Anyway, next person, please. Yeah. There's, and then everyone's stereotyping you. And then also, it's also just, it feels really bad when mixed people try to put you in a box. I'm like, you, you haven't dealt with the same exact thing. Like, why, why do you suddenly feel the need to do exactly what everyone did to you to me? And it's just a very, it's almost, it's frustrating in that way, but then I know why they're doing it because if they do that to me, then they get even more credit for me. For an example, um, my, I have friends that are mixed with black and white and they have like kinky hair. And so that they pass as black more often. Um, and more specifically, this one friend who has a white mom, which is an experience of its own, not necessarily my experience, but for a while it felt like it as my mom is, well, that's a whole scenario. Having a white mom when you're mixed is so hard because it's almost, you get the white mannerisms, but you can't like, but you're not white and you always have to defend yourself. That's a whole nother thing. But my dad, um but I have a friend who has a white mom and for some reason she would always come for me for the music I listened to for the way I dressed um for all these things that she said were too white um like of all people I wouldn't expect you to be the person that made me feel uncomfortable how I was um but something else this is from the past I don't know who said it but Again, with hair, it was hair, Jill. Um, my grandma used to have these long, like to her butt dreadlocks that I was just like, wow, those are gorgeous. And her hair was like, it was like these beautiful black and gray dreadlocks and she grew them out for years. But every time I came over, she would be like, I am so jealous of your hair. You just have thick, curly, wavy hair. I wish I had your hair. When she has dreadlocks down to her butt. And I was just, it blew my mind. It's just so weird how there's just these, what counts as pretty? I don't know. Yeah, I certainly think that there is a lot of elements of where I sometimes feel like really guilty when I look in the mirror or I look on Instagram and I see all of these really beautiful dark-skinned women and this is pretty specific to the stuff that I do with like makeup and stuff and I'm like wow that color looks so gorgeous on her skin and her skin is so dark and beautiful and I almost wish I looked like that and I'm so aware of all of the implications of that like that person probably has it so much harder than I do because they look like that because they're profiled because like that person's a model probably they had to work 10 times harder to get into like a modeling agency because they look like that um and so I'm really aware of that when I think things like that um and kind of all of the colorism where I know my grandmother who is black um she is obsessed with having super light skin And like, she's a little bit of like a glamour queen. She lives in New York. And whenever I come over and we see each other, like she'll say things like, oh, I'm almost as light as you are, as if it's inherently a good thing. Um, And so that's that's kind of a weird thing to have to navigate and think about um, when you're envious of other people and other people are envious of you. Um, Because I also have... um, this friend who I won't name, um, and she is a little bit whiter than I am in terms of percentages. And she has like this gorgeous wavy long hair. And like every day when I'm brushing out my hair and having to deal with it, I'm just like, wow, I wish I had her hair. Like it just falls. I know why they're doing it because if they do that to me, then they get even more credit for me. For an example, um, my I have friends that are mixed with black and white and they have like kinky hair and so that they pass as black more often um and more specifically this one friend who has a white mom which 
is an experience of its own. Not necessarily my experience, but for a while it felt like it as my mom is, well, that's a whole scenario. Having a white mom when you're mixed is so hard because it's almost, you get the white mannerisms, but you can't like, but you're not white and you always have to defend yourself. That's a whole nother thing. But my dad. <laughs> um, but I have a friend who has a white mom. And for some reason, she would always come for me for the music I listened to, for the way I dressed, um, for all these things that she said were too white. And I'm like, of all people, I wouldn't expect you to be the person that made me feel uncomfortable how I was um but something else this is from the past I don't know who said it but again with hair it was hair Jill um my grandma used to have these long like to her butt dreadlocks that I was just like wow those are gorgeous and her hair was like it was like these beautiful black and gray dreadlocks and she grew them out for years but every time I came over, she would be like, I am so jealous of your hair. You just have thick, curly, wavy hair. I wish I had your hair. When she had... Um, yeah, We're, well, there's a lot of mixed kids in our school. There's particularly in my family, we have um, a lot of kids, or sorry, I wanna say bye, bye Jill. <laughs> um we have um my sister and I are both mixed with black and white and then my cousins or my second cousin so yeah they're also black and white obviously not the same exact mix because it's a different part of our family um and so there's three of them and so we often get together and it's like just a lot of mixed kids in the same spot. And it's very interesting to see how our parents act together, where there's the family that is my mom who is black and my father who is white and they're interacting with um, my aunt, my grandmother's sister who is black and her husband who is white and kind of how like, everyone interacts and specifically how this is kind of weird but I don't know if anyone else has experienced that it's actually if you are mixed with white it is your parent who is more ethnic the person of color in your family who tends to say more out-of-pocket things um but that's just something that I've noticed and also that I'm sorry I got off track from what I really wanted to say which was um there's often a lot of comparisons and this kind of goes back with like the n-word and fitting in but it can feel almost competitive at times where I've had like a black person questioning my blackness and I have friends I have several friends who are black and white just like me and it's all of a sudden become like they're ranking which one of us is more black and it feels really like weird and competitive in a way that you don't want to like I am always inclined to stand down but then my friends are like well no I'm obviously more black than her and I'm like well why am I having this conversation right now and that just doesn't feel good quick little thing before I leave I think it's just so funny and I think for a lot of mixed people they'll have the same situation of it's so hard to explain a family like in a storytelling way like it goes back to and my mom's mom is black but my mom's dad is white and my dad's mom is Latina it's just so hard so the babbling is it's understandable and you will hear it wherever you go so I totally agree with all that has been said about mixed families. Um, I just kind of wanted to bring us back to kind of the club and kind of what that space means for students on campus and what it has meant for you guys. Um, I know for myself that um, that it's 
definitely meant a lot. And I think you can kind of tell from this podcast, you know, the kind of energy um, that happens when you bring mixed people together and how they can relate their experiences in a very unique way. And this was something that caught my attention um, when I got to go to the UC Berkeley Mixed Retention Center's um, meetings where it was like 50 mixed college students and experienced that my sophomore year. Um, and that definitely gave a lot of motivation for me to continue doing what I was doing with my club. The MCSA has helped me a great deal in learning how to celebrate who I am. It's allowed me to understand others like me. It's a place where bridges are built, a safe place for mixed students. It's become a home at Berkeley High to me, and I'm sure it'll become a home to anyone who decides to be a part of this wonderful and inclusive community of outspoken students. There's really only love there. Yeah, I completely agree with you, Jill. It's really been such a meaningful space for me. And um, since I started my freshman year, it's really been kind of um, a personal growth experience with you. Um, But I think it has grown to being a very diverse, um, very proactive space where people are taking a lot of initiative to see things that are happening in their community that they want to change. And I see that with our leadership team. Um, and I just had one quick observation to make in terms of mixed communities and interacting with both the Mixed Retention Center at UC Berkeley and the MCSA over the last couple of years. Mixed communities are such a new kind of niche, nuanced idea that so many people are completely unfamiliar with the idea. And I think, you know, some people aren't even aware that, you know, in addition to, you know, finding, um, you know, understanding and feeling a part of, you know, the individual cultures and ethnicities that you are part of, that there's a lot that can, a lot of value that can come from um, being in a space with other mixed people who have so many things in common to you. Um, And I think the MCSA and the Mixed Retention Center are completely transformational in that way because a lot of people have no idea what a mixed community looks like. They have never been a part of a mixed community Um, a lot of colleges still don't really have mixed community. So it's a very nuanced thing. And um, I think in a lot of ways, people don't realize how, you know, valuable and how meaningful it is to be a part of a community like that. So I just wanted to say that um, um, sometimes people don't really realize how much they need these kind of communities and these kind of spaces um, until they're a part of them race you can belong to black communities and mixed communities because they overlap sometimes but also like different parts of your identities can be like you can be part of a queer community figuring out your identity is not so simple as figuring out which one box you fit into it's which boxes you pull parts from to create the amazing being that is yourself